Well, good morning, Sailorville. My name's Pat Nemers. I'm the lead pastor here at Sailorville Church. And uh, if you are a visitor from last week with Easter, we're glad to have you back. And what we do around here at Sailorville Church, we, we, we believe the Bible is the Word of God uh, from uh, back to back, uh, from cover to cover. And we actually... Uh, love the words of God, and so we preach through the Bible verse by verse, and we're doing a study of the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and uh, we're calling it In the Beginning, and we've made our way all the way to chapter 4. If you brought a Bible, you can find chapter 4. That's where we're going to pick up our study in a message we're titling, The Way of Cain, The Way of Cain. So the first 16 verses is where we're going to be, and here we go. Now Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard For Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? (coughs) He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Behold, You've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. <coughs> Excuse me. It was 1994, and I was the, the speaker, the evangelist speaker in the Crow Wing Adventure. It was a canoe trip. It was the fourth year in a row, I think, that I'd done it up in northern Minnesota along the Crow Wing River, a 47-mile trip uh, along this river. River is crystal clear, three, four feet of water at the deepest but we just would have a blast. A U-Haul would go before us and drop all our stuff off, our belongings and clothes, at the next campsite. So it was just us and our swimsuits and, and our uh, you know, life preservers and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, so we're getting ready to embark on this. It was day one, 
And it was cloudy, it was rainy, it was misty, it was cold. And so the leader said, um, okay, we're, uh, before we embark on our canoes today, because it's cold and, and, and rainy, no swamping today. Well, you might as well have just gutted the whole day of fun. Because that's, that was the fun part of canoeing. I mean, usually it was hot. It was the middle of July. And, uh, you know, because we didn't have any clothing or anything like that to be worried about, you know, what we would do is these, you know, somebody would start swamping by tipping over somebody's canoe. And the next thing you know, a lot of canoes would go over. And so, uh, but, you know, it was understandable. You know, it was cold. So I said, nah, all right. So got in the canoe and took off. About an hour down the river, the skies opened up. The sun poured down. The temperature soared. It got downright hot, and it was swamping time. And I led the way. I was in the front, jumped out of my canoe, flipped over the canoe right in front of me, and the next thing you know, within 10 minutes, all 30 canoes flipped over in the water. It was a blast. We were all laughing, having fun. We eventually, you get them back up and you get going, and we traveled on, on down, and we ended up at our campsite. It was a great first day. And until I realized that uh, not everybody was really excited about that. In fact, uh, the leader of the group had come to me and said, hey, Pat, I just want you to know, I mean, you haven't even preached yet, but uh, there's like a half a dozen of them that are really upset with you right now. And I said, well, why are they upset? I mean, gee, we had fun. He, I, I, well, uh, I, the rule was not to swamp. So I said, well, yeah, I get it, of course, but it was raining, it was cold, and I mean, at the time, yeah, good rule, you know, and all that, but, you know, it was, I mean, I, my, it wasn't really working real well, okay? And about those who were upset, they were a group, I see, at the beginning when I got there, and before we embarked, I was going around introducing myself to all the high schoolers, getting to know them, and here was this group off to the side, they were just a bunch of rebels, they looked like rebels, you know what I'm talking about? Don't point any fingers here, Okay. I mean, they just, their faces looked like they were rebels. They were just, they didn't want to be with anybody else. So I went up and I engaged some conversation with them. And I'm shaking hands with them one by one. I, and there's this big guy. I'm looking up at him. I said, hey, what's your name? He goes, Kane. I said, yeah, right. No, my name's Kane. Oh, really? Okay, so strike two, I guess. So I just put it in my mind, I got to get to know this Kane. Because who names their kid Kane? Sorry, any Canes out there? But uh, so... Now, back to what happens at the end of the day. I haven't even preached one message, and I've got a rebellion on my hand, people very upset with me. And so, what would take place in my heart in the next couple of minutes literally would determine the way the rest of the week would go. Jude on the other side of your Bible, describes those who reject authority as those who go in the way of Cain. Have you ever read that? The way of Cain, hence the title of the message. Cain means to acquire. Not earn, but to acquire. Abel means breath. In fact, uh, uh, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, 38 times it says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's the word for Abel, just a breath. Ironic because Abel in a day when people lived extraordinarily long lives, hundreds and hundreds of years even, lived but a breath, so to speak. Uh, 
And here it is, Adam and Eve's two firstborn sons. They're in a full-fledged farming operation. You got the one running the cattle, and they got the run running, uh, one running the crops. You got the crop and the cattle with Cain and with Abel. And really, there's glory in work, and there's no indication that Cain was not a hard worker. In fact, just the opposite is probably true. In fact, in verse 17, we didn't get there, but we're told after he's cursed, he becomes a builder. He's a hard worker. But this might hint, this might be the hint in the story of what sent Cain downward. Not the fact that he was not a hard worker, because he clearly was, but the fact that he took such pride in his work and felt that his own work was that which would make him worthy before God, obviously. He's the first self-righteous man on earth. And the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, according to Isaiah, right? Now, in the, in the account, the two of them bring their sacrifices to God. And many Bible expositors, and I would have included myself at least at one time in this, assume that in approaching God, it was required that there be a blood sacrifice. Hence, Abel's bringing the firstborn of his flock. And Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, thus it was a blood sacrifice. That's why God rejected it, of course. It's, it's, it's not based on nothing. Back in chapter 3, if you remember, Adam and Eve clothed themselves in their own righteousness, the clothing that is of Eden. God rejected that, killed an animal, clothed them with skin. Blood had to be shed. That's the basis for the thinking that God rejected Cain's offering because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. And I'm going to challenge that this morning. Cain's offering is not looked favorably by God. He has, quote, no regard. The word regard means to gaze, means to look upon. That is to look favorably upon. God looks favorably upon Abel's, not upon Cain's. And, of course, Cain is ticked. He's really ticked. The Hebrew carries the idea that he is burning on the inside even. Fascinating that there's not one but two references to his face. Did you notice that? His face being down. God says, why is your face down? And God is kind of like a, like a loving father here, approaching Cain, showing grace to him, reasoning with Cain, even though it doesn't work. Can we get any parents to uh, relate to that? I can relate to that. I got to, listen, God, Father God relates to that. He understands the struggles of parenting. When you have kids that don't listen, that doesn't mean you kids shouldn't be listening. doesn't mean you kids should reject authority, but God understands. I mean, in a time in my life when I had some kids that were rebelling against me, God actually comforted me with a passage in Isaiah chapter 1 where he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, and they have rebelled against me. I remember reading that thing, oh God, if you're, I mean, you're the best father there is. And they, your children were rebelling against you. So you can be encouraged for all of your efforts, salvations of the Lord, amen? Cain here, though, is seething with anger, hatred. Premeditatedly, he murders Abel in the field, giving way to an amazing dialogue between him and God. A denial of his knowledge of what happened to Abel. And then, of course, he is con- 
He is cursed by God. Cain becomes the first human being cursed by God. He's marked as a wanderer forever. And truthfully, about just about every family dysfunction known to man can find its roots right here, including jealousy and rivalry and hatred and favoritism and alienation as well, among other things. And then you've got the first reference to sin. Do you notice that? Sin, God said to Cain, is crouching at your door. And we talk about the law of first reference when significant theological terms like sin are mentioned for the first time. The way in which they're mentioned usually has some ramification, some sense. It gives us a sense of the nature or the meaning of the word. And, and God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Not, not around the corner, but right there, ready to pounce. So we learn a lot about sin. In fact, Theologians have tried to define sin, but actually God gives us a very, very simple definition of sin that's easy to memorize. First John says, sin is lawlessness. You want to know what sin is? There you go. Sin is lawlessness. And something or someone that's lawless is untethered, has, is not submissive to authority, will not submit to God, much less anyone else. And that's the reason why sin has been often described as anything that's contrary or opposes the glory of God. For all have sinned and come, what? Short of the glory of God. That's the idea. So the way of Cain powerfully teaches us several aspects of sin, such as its nature, its outgrowth, and its destiny. And in the process, we're going to learn something about ourselves in this passage. So let me give you five aspects of sin just from the story and the very first reference of sin in the Bible. First, sin must always have its own way. Have you noticed that? Sin must always have its own way. Now, no doubt, Many of you see the problem in this passage as the, the sacrifice that Cain brought. I mean, he surely should have brought a blood sacrifice. God would have accepted it and thus him and had regard for him. But the Bible doesn't really tell us that. It could be, but in Leviticus chapter 2 and in Deuteronomy chapter 26, we're told in both places that grain offerings were a legitimate means by which to approach God. And after all, Cain was a keeper. He was working the field. It, that's what he would have to offer. Now, somebody could argue, well, yeah, he could have you know, exchanged his wheat or whatever for the cattle that Abel had and thus had a blood sack. Yes, he could have done all that. But the text doesn't tell us that that was the problem, not specifically anyway. It does indicate there is a bit of a contrast here in the way in which they approach God with their offerings. If you'll notice, Abel's was of the firstborn, the fat portion, the best of the best. Whereas Cain's, it just says he took up the fruit of the ground. You, you, you kind of almost get the impression it, was, it wasn't like he was bringing the best. But you do want to notice on the other hand, and you might want to look at it in verse 3 where it says... Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. It doesn't just say he brought an offering. It tells us he brought it to the Lord, just like Abel did. He did bring it to the Lord. So here's the deal. Personally, 
I don't think the problem was a lack of blood. Had Cain offered a blood sacrifice on this occasion, he would have been rejected out of hand by God. You want to know why? Because Cain's problem was not having a bad sacrifice. It was having a bad heart. Just like some of you. Cain was religious. He brought this to the Lord. You're religious. You're here in church for crying out loud. That doesn't make you righteous, does it? Religious doesn't make you righteous. I was in a coffee shop just the other day, a newer coffee shop. Been going there for a couple of weeks. The guy serving me on the other counter asked me how I was doing. He'd seen my books over on the side. He goes, hey, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor, and uh, so I'm just studying uh, for my message right now. He goes, hey, now listen to how he responded to me. This is exactly how he responded to me. Here's what he said. He said, I wondered, seeing you were studying your Bible, I figured you were either, watch this, I figured you were either really devoted or a pastor. <laughs> I looked at him, I, I shot back, I, I hope I'm both. <laughs> but he was onto something, albeit unwittingly, unintentionally, he sort of stumbled onto something, did he not? I think he did. I think he stumbled on the, on the genuine possibility that I was devoted but not righteous. Religious, but not righteous. That was Cain. Religious, not righteous. Just like some of you. No one's doubting that. We're, almost everybody's religious, but not everybody's righteous. The Bible tells us that the first thing we notice about Sin is it has its tendency to always have its own way. It's the way it is. You got to have your own way. And Isaiah prophesying that Jesus, what Jesus would take upon himself for you and me, said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to, watch this, his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that would be Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We were, you read the word iniquity, hardly anybody refers to sin as iniquity. But it's a very descriptive word. It means willfulness. It means going your own way. It's, it's virtually defined in Isaiah 53.6 as going your own way. And if that's you here today... You're one of those individuals who, you know, you just, you just have a way of manipulating things. You just got to do it your way. It's got to be your way. You're, oh, yeah, you're religious, but you got to do it your way. Well, then join Cain. I think it was Darwin who said, I have no problem with the idea of God, just not the God of the Bible. That's iniquity. That's saying, I got to have it my way. The nature of sin has always been, always will be to do its own thing, have its own way, create its own religion. That's what it does. So let me ask you before we move on, does that describe you? You got to have your own way. You got to do it your way. Just can't quite submit to what God has said. Here's the second thing about sin. Its character is to pounce and destroy. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Here in this dialogue back and forth, you know, God says, why is your face so down? If you do, if you do well, it, it'll go well with you, he says. 
You'll be accepted. And by the way, the word accepted carries the idea of having, it means, means to uplift. It's a, it's a play on words almost. Like, here's Cain, his face is down. God says, if you do well, your face will go up. The face is a fascinating thing in the Bible, I think. The Bible speaks often about the face. It's almost like the window to the soul, as often people say. And I know that you, and in fact, even in number six, the high priestly prayer, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his, what? Face to shine on you, lift up his countenance upon you, that you be blessed. And I, I mean, you have to be careful when I say this, but some of you, just look at your countenances, your dead giveaways to allowing sin to pounce and dominate your life. Sin is crouching at your door. Isn't that kind of scary? Doesn't that sound like a scary? I think it sounds scary. I think God meant it to sound scary. It's, sin is vicious. It's animalistic. It wants to devour. It's not just out there. It's not around the corner. It's right there at the door, ready to pounce. Now, growing up, I had a paralyzing fear of the basement, especially at night. I could go down there in the day, no problem. But for something, something just appeared there at night. Something or something was going to get me every time I went down there. And I can remember having to go down there at night, grab whatever I had, and then, I mean, if, if, if there were world records for stair running, I broke every one of them. Because I couldn't get up from that basement quicker because I just knew something was going to pounce on me. And God is saying, that's the way we ought to look at sin. It was John Wesley who said, I fear nothing but sin, and I think we ought to join John Wesley. Do you have any fears? You say, well, I fear God. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about a scary kind of fear. Do you fear sin? You should. Because its very character is to pounce on you, dominate you, and destroy you. Sin's ultimate act is murder. We, that's what Cain does to Abel, and he illustrates what sin's end game is. We, you, you read James's epistle, and he says, as, as you unpack sin, the end game is death. But Jesus said that we commit murder in our hearts long before we act out. And one writer postulates that Cain murdered Abel. Because keep in mind, you know, we, we sort of, we're not told about their upbringing. We're told about their birth. And boom, the next, the next scene is they're, they're, they're raising cattle and managing crops. They're adults, apparently. And so this writer postulates that Cain murdered Abel multiple times before he actually killed him. The crouching beast was within him. Pogo was right. We have met the enemy, and it is us. You been killing anybody in your heart lately? Why did Cain kill Abel? Well, see, so he obviously hated him, jealous of him, whatever, hated him. No, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, no, I think it's because he hated God. Remember when David killed Uriah? the husband of Bathsheba, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, impregnated her, and then schemed that whole thing, killed him off. 
And then Nathan comes, confronts him. You're the man, remember that? And then you have this penitential psalm, Psalm 51, where David starts to pray. Is anybody else bothered besides me when you come up to, I think it's verse 6, where he says, against you and you only have I sinned, he says to God. You think, are you serious? But David understood by then, at least, and not until then, really, that sin is all sin, especially sins of hatred, are ultimately not against the person you hate, they're against God. And let me tell you something, when Cain killed Abel, he killed God in effigy. Because like Abel, like you and me, Abel was created in the image and likeness of God, right? So in a sense, it's because he hated God. Sin's ultimate act is murder, and Jesus said we, it all begins in our hearts. And so I got to ask you, are you hating on anybody? Is there somebody in your life that you hate? Because if there is, murder is right around the corner. Maybe at your door. Fourthly, sin's Typical cover-up is defiance, and we see that here, isn't it? It's amazing how defiant Cain is. And by the way, you show me somebody who is defiant, and I will show you somebody who's into sin up to their eyeballs and beyond. Sin didn't just grow in Cain, it exploded in him. Literally took over his life. Here you have history's first lie and first questioning of God, and with smack talk, no less. You know, where's your, where's your, where's Abel? I don't know. What am I? My brother's keeper? I don't know. Apparently, Cain didn't realize that God was all-knowing, which is an interesting denial by even some today. Seriously? Are we to expect God to say to Cain, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. I'll keep looking. Cain is a self-absorbed narcissist. He creates the every man for himself syndrome that some of you are caught up in today. And if you read later on when the curse comes, Cain doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry I sinned against you, God, and look what I did to my brother Abel. No, it's all, what's going to happen to me? People will kill me. That's the nature of sin. You become so narcissistic. It's all about you. What happens to you? You don't care about your wife. You don't care about your husband. You don't care about your kids. You don't care about the people who love you. You just care about yourself. In your defiance. So you're a teenager and you know, your parents don't, parents don't get me. They resist me. They restrain me. They restrict me. So I think I'll just lie to them. Well, welcome to Cain's world. You're a husband or a wife, and your spouse is not, you know, responding the way they should. They don't love you like they used to, and things just aren't the same. But the guy I work for, he compliments me and showers praise upon me, tells me I smell nice when I wear this perfume, and I think I'll... You're a disgruntled church member because you don't like the music, you don't like the... You don't like you know, the fact that your preferences aren't being uh, attended to and the pastor always yells. Thought I'd throw that out there for what it's worth. So I think I'll grumble behind the scenes. 
Well, behold, Cain's world. Are there areas of defiance in your life right now? You're a teenager. I'm going to go through this whole thing again. You're a wife, whatever. Again, is there some area where you just are defiant like Cain? Last thing I want to point out is that sin's destination is judgment. Listen, you smack talk to God, he'll smack down you. Abel's life might have been snuffed out, but his blood was crying out, which is exactly what God said, right, to Cain? The blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. And so Cain would suffer a double banishment. His parents were expelled from Eden. It would be, they, would, they would you know, create whatever crops, whatever they'd produce crops by the sweat of their brows, but for Cain, he would expel, be expelled from family, from society as he knew it, and the ground would be like steel to him. No wonder he became a builder. That's what God says. So he's banished and branded, marked, out from the presence of the Lord, quote-unquote, to live a kind of hell on earth before going to hell in hell. And some of you might be heading that way now. When Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great preacher from last century in Philadelphia was preaching one day, a heckler yelled out from the audience, where did Cain get his wife? And Barnhouse just ignored him, just kept on preaching. Sure enough, he came back, where did Cain get his wife? Eventually, Barnhouse just said, look, I don't know. I'll ask him when I get to heaven. About five minutes later, the guy goes, well, what if he's not in heaven? Barnhouse goes, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Chalk one up for the preacher. The truth of the matter is, some of you are going to say, suffer the same lot as Cain if you continue to go in the way of Cain. Hell in hell. Oh, he would marry, have a family, become a builder, build a city, no less. But he would also become the first of many to come, and some of you who would defy the psalmist who said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Vain ventures, worthless ventures, because it's not tethered to God. Anybody here relate to that? Cain was a man without a country, a man without God. James Boyce, who would take the pastorate that Donald Gray Barnhouse had, once said this, if we would master sin, we must first be mastered by him who mastered it. That's worth looking at. Because remember, God says, you've got to rule over it. The only way Cain would ever rule over sin is is if he would be mastered by the one who mastered sin. And Jesus did just that, didn't he? He, was, he resisted sin in all of its forms, never gave in, was the lamb without spot, without blemish. He mastered the devil in sin. And sin is out to kill, steal, and destroy you. Back to the crow wing adventure. 
I knew that the entire week was hinging on this moment. I walked into my tent and realizing that this was, I just completely blew it. I got on my knees and I asked God to forgive me for my rebellion against the authority. And I got up and gathered 60 high schoolers and my first public expression to them was, will you please forgive me? I messed up. I defied the rule. And I don't even deserve to speak to you the rest of the week. And they did. And I watched something amazing happen over the next couple of days. That clutch of rebels over here started to soften. And I had a Bible that actually gave definitions of names in it on this trip. And next to Cain, it said, to acquire. So I said to Cain, I said, your name means to acquire. And I'm here to help you to acquire salvation. Not earn it. And by the end of the week, Cain, unlike his namesake, would be delivered from hell and trust Jesus as his Savior. God said to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said this, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because sin's destination is judgment. It must be judged. Jesus' blood met the judgment. He took our judgment upon himself. He took your sins and my sins upon himself and thus judged sin. Praise God. Because here's the deal. Abel's blood says you cannot cover your sin. But Jesus' blood says yes you can with mine shed on your behalf. It's a better sacrifice, better covenant, and you better receive him if you're an individual given to sin, iniquity, having your own way, allowing it to dominate your life, and it might be pornography, it might be drugs or alcohol, it might be just your desire to have it your way all the time. If that's your way, then you are dominated by sin just as much as the guy who's a slave to the bottle over here. And while Abel's blood says, you can't cover your sin, Jesus says, yes, you can. With my blood. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, if you'll receive it. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to open up your word and examine the way of Cain. Lord, I pray for those, and, and as we pray, just think with me, would you? We're talking to God, but I want you to think in your heart right now, all of you. Would you say, that's the way my life is. I, I, I like to have my own way. I, I go in my own way. Would you acknowledge that? Would you be sorry for that? 
I wonder how many here have allowed sin to pounce upon them and control them, dominate their lives, destroying their lives. And would you just acknowledge today that you can't, you can't master sin until you are mastered by the one who mastered sin, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that while the ultimate destiny of sin was judgment, that judgment doesn't have to be for us in eternity. We can go to the cross where our sin was met head-on by Jesus. Trust him right now as our Savior. And if you, right now as we pray, if you'd say, Lord, I, that's me. I'm, I'm tired of being dominated by life-dominating issues and sins. Would, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again for me. Master me, Lord Jesus, that I might master those areas of my life. I trust you as my Lord, my Savior, my Master. Would you pray that from your heart today? If you would, you'll become a child of God because what can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's all stand.